0: Jason Edmund is the definition of enterprising. Born and raised on the island of Antigua, Jason learned the value of hard work and to always insist on the highest levels of customer service. You see, Jason's dad was the manager of one of Antigua's top resorts. Even as a child, he marveled at the way guests' faces would light up upon being treated well. Whether he knew it or not, these experiences during his childhood were preparing him to be the person that he is today. By his teenage years, Jason picked up work on construction sites during school vacations. He fell in love with the process of designing and building. His interest took him to Howard University in Washington, D.C., where he studied civil engineering. After college, Jason started work as an engineer. In addition, he started a successful part-time gig, selling high-demand items such as Air Jordans and video game systems online. Life was good, and he was on his way to fulfilling all of his dreams. And then 2008 came around. That's right, the Great Recession. Like thousands of others, Jason was laid off. He decided to go back to Antigua for a few weeks to clear his mind and decide on his next steps. An afternoon in solitude on his porch led to him being hungry. For some odd reason, he was craving a honey bun, a vending machine staple in the United States. Jason could not find the snack anywhere in Antigua, nor was he able to find many vending machines. A light bulb went off. Without hesitation, Jason started researching. By the next day, he had made contact with a vending machine manufacturer in Iowa. Jason Edmund, a.k.a. Machine Man, was on his way to becoming the king of the vending business on Antigua. What I have offered thus far is just a snippet. The details of his story are even more intriguing. In his own words, this is the story, thus far, of Jason Machine Man Edmund. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet Thirty. He is a former civil engineer turned machine man. And we'll fill you in a little bit about that later. Jason Edmund, welcome to Planet 30.
1: Hey, Chris Pittman. Thanks for having me. It's an honor.
0: The honor is mine, my friend. So, Jason, you are from the lovely Antigua and Barbuda. Dadley. Yes, sir. What was it like growing up in Antigua? Ah, uh,
1: man, Antigua. You know you know that Keith Murray song? The most beautiful thing in this world. <laughs> the only thing is Antigua is the most beautiful place in this world. I considered a small tr- little treasure probably the caribbean best kept secret still very much untapped mm-hmm. a lot of potential Antigua has a lot of other things outside of the aesthetics to offer like rich in culture we're a melting part of all cultures like you name the nationality you could find right here in Pet everybody calls antigo home and it's just a beautiful place but growing up here was a joy i grew up in and around uh hospitality sector, my father was a general manager, and I grew up, actually my first seven years of my life, I grew up at Jolly Beach Hotel in Antigua, school life was good, from primary to secondary, I actually attended one, actually the best secondary school in Antigua, now i take back my talk, Antigua Grammar School, probably the best secondary school, and, you know, I doubled in sports a little bit, grew up
0: in Antigua, played a little basketball, but had a great quality of life in Antigua. Nice. Great. So you you basically lived the, what's that Disney Channel show, The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody? You grew up on a hotel resort?
1: Well, you know, it was just what my father did. And we just, he was a manager and we stayed there for, that's good, the first seven years. It was, it actually had a lasting um, impact on me because growing up around the hotels, I actually saw customer service at a and, you know, in Antigua, like, you get mediocre to almost poor customer service anywhere else, but anything to do in the hospitality sector, anything to do in the hotels, you get, you know, better customer service. And I think that's what I gained from being and growing up around the hospitality area.
0: Mm-hmm. So, obviously, in, in some strange roundabout way, you were in training for what it is you do now.
1: Yeah. You can say that. You can say that because I guess from then I, I would I would say if I was to do anything, I know I had to have that, but like, I didn't know what to call it at the time. Right. But I just saw I just saw how people interacted with the guests and that kind of stuff, and I knew that was that was what was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But I think also when going to the states, going to Howard, you know, me going to the city and going to the different malls, a site, a more wide scale of customer service as well because. As I said, in Antigua, it's mediocre. Sometimes it's mediocre to pour outside the hospitality. It's outside the restaurants, outside the hotels. So I saw it more wide scale, when you're going to the mall, they, they would come and check in with you and talk to you nicely and, you know, treat you well. So I, just, I saw customer service and I always looked at that. I think that is a major factor in business, as you know. You want that repeat customer because that's that's what most of your businesses rely on.
0: When when you go to the mall and they say good afternoon, you're kind of like, what do you mean by good afternoon, sir? so <laughs> <laughs> like the kind, the kindness, the kind, the kindness and, and generosity uh, sometimes takes you takes you uh, takes you back. It, it it throws you back a bit because sometimes, unfortunately, in in other countries, you see the lack of customer service. But, you know, it's one thing the United States has done well is even at a fundamental level. I mean, even if it's, a, if it's, a, if it's an average department store, people are trained to approach you properly. They're trained to take care of you as a customer. So, very important. So, Jason, tell me, growing up, what was the plan? What was your grand plan? What did you want to become?
1: Growing up, I actually liked architecture. In, in drama school,
0: I loved TV. Technical Drawing mm-hmm. and Building Technology. Those were my two favorite classes. In TD football. and BT. Yes, sir.
1: Yes, sir. So I was like, you know, I'm going to do TD. But it's so funny when I ended up in school at Howard, I ended up doing Engineering. But I'll get into that later. But So Technical Drawing was one of my favorite classes and that kind of guided me towards the architecture mindset. That's what that was the
0: plan. So early on, what was your influence in terms of uh architecture and in, and in, in B in T? Did you have a family member that was a contractor or did you were you just an admirer of, of, of construction? Um
1: I actually I actually worked in construction in grammar school after school. I worked there in the summers in the Christmas vacations I used to work. I worked a lot. I worked a lot and that's how I started that actually funded my Jordan habit my my jar fix like was able to save my money and buy my jars as soon as they came out so working after school working in summers in construction i think that gave me the first indication in my brain that construction was something cool to do and i ended up doing civil engineering and then working for a construction company so i kind of you know kind of led me along that way
0: hmm mm-hmm. so you you leave grammar school as you say, is the number one school in Antigua. I'm sure I'm going to get some type of email or phone call about that, about that statement. we <laughs> will not tell, but we talk. Carry on. <laughs> so, so you leave. <laughs> Crispin, tell him Christ the King. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> tell him Princess Margaret. <laughs> um, uh. So you decide to, to, to leave uh, Antigua, and you end up at Howard University. Um, why Howard University, and then why? Well, we—I I sort of understand why you majored in, in civil engineering, but well, wouldn't architecture have been a, a better major if, if you wanted to sort of, you know, design things? Listen, let me th-
1: first of all let me tell you how I got into the engineering building. So I was taking a class, I think it was Central Africa, at Howard, and a friend of mine, he was an engineer, he was an electrical engineer. I was undecided for two years, so I'm just doing all these electives, just these, just knocking them out, just trying to keep a full-time status, and so he said, yo, why don't you come come over to engineering, because I'm to do architecture, but I'm just still undecided. He said, come over to engineering, man, you could probably, he wanted me to join electrical, but because he said civil would actually be more in line because you still can do design work, more in line to the architectural degree. He told me to do the architect, or he told me to do the civil engineering. And I was like, you know, that makes a lot of sense. So that's exactly how, I, it wasn't like waking up in the middle of the night and boom, it, um, civil engineering was in my head. It was just my boy just decided to like take interest in me lead me along
0: that path mm-hmm okay 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 plus the architectural um, program is I think two or three years longer than the average um. Yes. <laughs> uh, I think but, it's actually one year one year longer for, for, for
1: the for the undergraduate yes
0: but I know a lot of people stretch it to two years more you know because it's so intense yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> how did going to Howard sort of expand your knowledge base how was the experience and Secondly, you know, in the early 2000s, um, when we were there, there was a lot of construction in the Washington, D.C. area. Did that sort of um, encourage you within your field? Like, wow, you know, when I leave school, at least there's a lot of stuff going on here. I actually got accepted to the University of Maryland
1: and at Howard at the same time, visited University of Maryland, liked the campus, nice and big and spacious and everything, but went to Howard. I don't know. I didn't know as I was 18, didn't know what I was really looking for in a school but how it had this energy that I liked and and you know what too? At that time, seventeen, eighteen, I was very much following the Rastafari religion, you know what I mean, the Rastafari way. And I said, you know what black people is a thing, you know what I mean? <laughs> that also was an influence. Now so thinking back about it, you know what I mean? That also was a big influence as well. To picking Howard.
0: Right. So, in addition to that, like, how was the experience as a whole at Howard? Like, you know, the the social life and the classes and the just the culture, etc.
1: Well, social life, I didn't have much of because I was an engineer late night every night.
0: Yeah, that was but, you, that um, that was your social life.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll be honest, man. If I could go back, I'd have so much more fun. But let's not go this night that, but. Was was a profound one. I really grew from a boy to a man during those years of Howard. Um, I'm very very proud to be a Bison, and I picked up a lot of positive qualities that helps me even today, especially in my in, in, in work in business, being persistent, being being one of them. I came up late from Antigua and actually misorientation. Right. I remember. Yo. Do you remember how? How we went about registering for classes over the phone. And it was crazy over the phone. You had to go get the course book and call the number, and you know, we would be busy for
0: hours. When you finally get
1: through. <laughs> the class you is full. Then you had to go and stand in line to get an override and you know, stand line,
0: especially. With and the, the, and the, the and the recording would sound like this: Engineering One Hundred One, <laughs> Section Five, 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 Two, Three yes. <laughs> is closed. Oh, man That couple seconds between the last number And whether it was open or closed Was, like, so tense Because they, they go, five, so five, 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 two, three And you're like, please, 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 please It's closed And you're like, oh, man, yeah, man. That was crazy, man it's
1: crazy
0: Technology's come a long way Yeah,
1: yeah, and just- we saw a change in front of our eyes while we were there,
0: but in front that, of our that eyes first
1: registration. That first registration process was, was crazy for me. So because now you know you're trying to get you're trying to get Professor A because everybody else told you that Professor B is not good, don't take him and rather worse if it's an elective that the whole freshman year was taken
0: or something. And so and not so only so that but pro- but you wanted Professor A at an appropriate time. You didn't want to get up at eight o'clock to go see him.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah. So now you have to go and get the override. The standing lines trying to get this professor to sign his override and justify why it is that you take it class. Why, why it is that you want to take that class and his class? So you know, just during that process, persistence, the tenacity. You know me, well during that first registration process, the the, the not taking
0: no for answer, pretty much. <laughs> taking me back there boy you're taking me back you're taking me back good times good times now tell me about then, in in terms in terms of washington dc like i said you know there, there was a, an explosion of construction and just seeing everything being built around you how did that affect you or influence you
1: seeing a lot of those companies that were building around the dc area they would come to our career days and then recruit heavily for their summer programs and stuff for internships and the effect it gave me is that seeing that them coming to Howard looking for us because I got my first job before I even graduated. Company in Virginia wanted to hire me. I couldn't accept the offer because I really wanted to take some time off and go to Antigua for a two or three months to really Look at that those years, those last years, that last year at Howard was crazy. The last year, engineering was crazy and so I want some time off. But those companies were Always in and out of our building, trying to recruit in. And that's the fact. You just know that one of these companies are going to pick you up eventually. Because I, I interviewed with several of them and, and kept their cards, followed up with them. And eventually I was able to land a few interviews and got a, job with, I got a job with a smaller company. So that just shows you what kind of caliber of school that Howard University is. You know that people are actually seeking you out. Uh, start seeking you out yeah you know that comp you know that good companies are actually looking for good talent
0: so after after howard now you end up being an engineer and how how did that go for you
1: so after howard i got a job with a small concrete subcontractor in dinsburg maryland and that was a great experience i actually wanted Leaving school, I was thought I was going to end up in the engineering firm where I was going to do some design work. But falling into construction, falling into project management, knowing that project management skills are transferable across all disciplines, I thought that was the better move. I was able to grow, get that job for that small firm. I was able to put my hands in so many different areas, from estimation to, again, project management to being out in the field. I'll work with superintendents. It's just a really good experience.
0: Mm-hmm. So now you're a certified civil engineer. You're, you're bringing in the big bucks. You're making money. But strangely enough, Jason, from my research and understanding, you were quite the salesman even from a young age. Tell me about that, and then tell me how you continued in sales even as you were an engineer. Oh,
1: man, you're making me bring up one of my most fondest memories. All right, when I was seven years old, I think I was in junior one. We used to have to take art every Wednesday. We used to take art every Wednesday and we used to get in trouble with the teacher if we didn't have your art book. No, I always had my art book because that was my favorite class. But because I didn't want to see my friends get in trouble, I used to have to tear out the pages of my book to give them so they can so they can you know not get in trouble. So I decided, you know what? I hate tearing pages of my book because once you tear the first one out, the pages will fall out. <clears throat> So I decided, you know what, I'm going to actually make drawing books. So around my house, I always had printing paper.
0: Remember the old printing paper with the holes, at the perforated holes at the end? For the dot matrix Eight, printer. Nine by 11. Yes, yes, yes. Those <laughs> printers, yes. So I always had a bunch of that around the
1: house. So I would take about 10 or 15 sheets. Then I would, I drew something. I drew some nice design. I think it was a girl in a dress or something. I drew, drew a nice design gave it to her mother and had to take it to work, a photocopy, about 10 or 15 copies. So that was my cover page. I made a $5, put a $5 on top, so staple stapled that to the, the 15 blank pages, took those to school, and I sold those for $5. So mom was like really surprised when she see me coming home with $50 and $45 every week. So I was like really, what do you call it? I was really selling. My father... My father like, saw that and was like really impressed. He saw me selling and making money and then he decided, listen, instead of asking me for money, when I, when I used to ask asking him for money, of course. I said, instead of asking me for money, why don't you sell those limes at the hotel? We need limes in the kitchen, we use limes all day, every day. So I was like, okay, we had three lime trees in the yard. And we had a lot of fruit trees in my yard, but we had three lime trees. And I just picked limes all day, buckets and buckets of limes, and... I remember just one time father came with like 75 US dollars, you know, me saying, hey, this is the, the opinion for, for the knives, like, like well, that I couldn't believe, and that experience made me learn conversion, so I was able to convert, okay, you want US dollars, 2,070 cents EC, so it's actually X amount of dollars, so I actually learned at that point, and that, you know I mean, that was a good experience as well, man.
0: It's a good haul, 75 US dollars is almost 200 EC dollars.
1: yeah. Yeah, something
0: like that, exactly. So Jason, you were a salesman from the time you were seven years old, obviously. But tell me about your little bad habit that you had as a teenager that turned into a little lucrative something. Uh,
1: it's uh, about the cheese. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was a collector. I uh, like to call myself a sneakerhead. You know, Bollywood Jordan's from the construction i used to buy john's every year so i had that love from early and then i took a couple of years off college life broke life but as soon as i got out of college and certain releases came out certain joint releases i remember one of the first pairs i got was the dmp's um the defining the, the defining moment package and I bought two pairs, I bought one for myself and one to sell because there was, I saw the lines out of the mall, the lines of crazy wrapped around the mall. So I bought two, put one package up on eBay and that doubled in price. So I was like, wow, this is like serious. So I just kept on looking for um, big releases like the jordan five grapes came up next i got like about five pairs of those and i made like 60 on one pair 40 another pair you know if so i made some money on that pair said, in a weekend it's really quick some extra money when this was going on i was like okay all right i need to communicate with these store managers and try and see if i could get more pairs start talking to different store managers i went to pg mall i went to you know, the Locker, for action champs uh I was on the sports zone, and I just kept on talking to different guys. Um, Give them a sad story about my friend's home, they can't get a chance to get these drawings because they sell it right away. They would, they would reserve two pairs for me, so I would go collect my two pairs on release day. So at the end of it all, I have 20, 30 pairs of drawings at the end of the day, put them up on, on eBay, and made a, you know decent money over the weekend. But how the eBay game really went to a different level was... When i got my cash crop which was the nintendo wii so in november of 2006 when the wii's came out and the playstations came out i got some packages together we got, i got two i got two wii's and i got two ps3's i made a bundle made a package put it up on ebay and i made like triple the money how like, did you
0: how did you, how did you predict that the wii would be a uh, a, a top seller i
1: didn't it's just you know it, Cause I know it was hard this season, and I was just trying to make some money. Cause off of the sneakers I was selling sneakers, so it was just like a, it was a, a hunch. I just had a feeling I could make some money. I didn't think it was going to last that long though, so I just got two, two of each and sold them. So over the Christmas, you heard they started hearing about the Wii was so scarce, but how useful it was. Children from five to ninety-five could use it, and it was being. It was everybody wanted to get their hands on the Wiis. So, January, I just went out, did the same approach I did with the speakers, started talking to different store managers. Managers for literally departments in different department stores, and spoke with them, made some deals with them, and started getting we But the thing is, to get a wheeves was only one per customer. So once you went and bought a wheeves, you couldn't go in and buy 10 wheeves or 5 wheeves. It didn't matter how much money you have, it didn't matter. You only could buy one for customer, So I devised a plan. I went in, put my hat, pulled my hat down, right down to my eyebrows, bought one, went back outside, changed my jacket, put on a different sweater, took the hat off, walked in, bought another one, took off my, <laughs> I mean, put a, hoodie, put a hoodie on, or put a, um, put a tam over right over my head, go back in. So I'd probably go in and get three. My girlfriend did the exact, my girlfriend at the time, she did the exact same thing. She went in, and with the hair up, bought one came came back out, changed a jacket, went back in with the hair down, bought another one. So that's how it started. It started getting like, you know, five <laughs> or ten over the weekend and flipping them on eBay. And
0: what were the what were the margin what were the margins like though?
1: Uh, we would cost 250 dollars with tax two sixty five. I would probably get three forty five for it, three twenty five, somewhere around that region, three fifty. But this is a regular time of the year. This is January, February. But I started making real money when I got down to November, Thanksgiving time, you know, that's when it was started to double. I was making, if I put it up, for two, actually, I started all my auctions at $0. This is how high demand it was. People bid that up to $500, $550. That's how much people wanted. That's how many people, it was, so, it was crazy. So many people, I remember this one, oh, I'm seeing a home, ordered 14 weeks from me directly.
0: Fourteen. So, it, fourteen. Wow. So it was. It was just. It was just a hard
1: item. It's just. I've never seen a product like that before. And over that two-year span, from November two thousand six to about actually November two thousand eight, well, it trickled over to January two thousand nine, I sold over two thousand weeks on eBay when people could even get one. So that was a, a big accomplishment for me. I feel, I feel like really proud because I was really into that hustle. That's Getting up in the morning after work, after five o'clock, to get off engineering my engineering gig, actually my project engineering gig, and then just going hard at all the malls. I knew every Target, every Best Buy, every Circuit City, every Walmart, in the DMV. So I knew everyone. So it was that, was that was my hustle, man.
0: Amazing, amazing. I'm I'm still laughing at the at the fact that you and your then girlfriend. Pretended this is like a movie or something. You guys pretended to be different people to go in and get this ease. Didn't, if I remember correctly, didn't Nintendo have a shortage or something? They hadn't made enough or they, they weren't expecting the rush?
1: No, they didn't expect it. Did, they didn't expect, again, from five years old to 95 years old, seniors in the homes were buying them. So it was people from different walks of life are not into gaming wanted a weave just for the activity because you could stand in front of the TV and move around and, you know, swing a racket like you're playing tennis or whatever. So that was, that made it so marketable to everybody.
0: So now you're an engineer, eBay connoisseur, and the horrific crash happens and you move back to Antigua. Tell us about that transition, first of all, culturally, after living in the States for so long. Moving back home to Antigua was it a a bit of a culture shock? Because when you try to reintegrate, sometimes it's it's weird. Uh, I
1: always love being home, but I was never home for that long. Ever since I moved away ten years before, so it was just good being back home. Like I remember the first. I was telling the story about the first morning and waking up, I'm hearing the call in the backyard, the moo, and I'm like, what's what's, what's that? I'm not accustomed to hearing that, that sound, you know? So, living in, you know, I was living in the last time, no, I was living in Mount Rainier, Maryland, just before I moved back home. But, I, Antigua, Antigua is a place where he's just laid back, so, coming back here is like, he's actually slowing down, and he's actually, See things better, especially coming from a developed situation and coming back home. Maybe just, you just you see things a little bit better. You actually get better ideas, and that's how things kind of progress into my next business action.
0: Mm-hmm. So interesting story. It was well, you give us a story. What date was it, and, and what inspired it? <laughs> the da- oh, The date is man. the date is very interesting.
1: Yeah, it was four twenty, April twentieth. And I was just taking
0: part in the in the celebrations. Activities. That was the
1: celebrations what people do on the 420. And I got the munchies immediately. And so I sat there. I remember when I was at Howard, I used to always run to the vending machine and get a honey bun and get a drink. So I was sitting there with the munchies and I'm thinking, wait, I don't really see much vending machines in Antigua. What's going on? And I actually called a friend of mine, and he said, he don't really see that. Right. He's he like, vending machines, are, I don't know, we don't have any. Went inside, started doing some research. The very next morning, I was making calls, sending emails, and I just dived right into this vending machine business, pretty much.
0: So, <laughs> so, the craving for a honey bun, so you understand that most people would, would probably just go and get another cookie, another snack, but you went to a whole different level. You... <laughs> You decided, I don't just want a honey bun. I want the whole thing that sells the honey bun.
1: Yeah, man, because the fact that you didn't see them here and the fact that I was just there for three weeks and wasn't accustomed, I wasn't fully, you know what I mean, just settling in. I wasn't, at the time, I was about to go back up. As a matter of fact, I was due to leave about a week or so after that. But then I extended my trip and stayed the full nine, nine months and left in November of that year, 2010. Doing, getting, the, getting the, the whole business together, starting my business plan weeks after. I, I got a friend of mine, he made my logo. and got my business cards, started approaching different businesses around town, trying to find out, that, are you interested in the vending machines? You do very well in the establishment, This us do business. Went to went all over went to um, universities. I went to small um, um, associate colleges. I went all over with my, my proposal, and yeah, that's, that's how everything kind of you know moved into me getting into the vending machine business.
0: Was it accepted? Like when you went with the proposals, did people kind of say, "Hey, they, no, this won't work"? Actually, yes.
1: I got a lot of I got a lot of negative energy with the idea. A lot of people trade me on, I won't even lie, a lot of people trade me on and said yeah, that's a great idea. But for the most part, more often than not I got negativity. Even even some family actually told me, you know, don't buy that, this be big engineering boss So I was like, all right, you know what I mean, let me try this. You know, they they used to say like, you know, what I mean people don't want to buy from machines, you know, what I mean? be very conservative here and that kind of thing. And to me, again, to me, it was was. was It was a no-brainer. I don't see why it wouldn't work. It's just a thing where people are just going to, like, convenience. People gonna, are, are spontaneous shoppers. And I think you would definitely do well in any area where there's high traffic people. There's high volumes of people. So I kept the idea and just kept pushing through.
0: Do, do you miss engineering at all? A little bit. Sometimes I
1: think to myself i didn't get my full return on the investment because the hours of engineering that you did in the in that building the hours at school <laughs> you you want a return on that investment that's because you, you you sacrifice a lot of your, your social life you sacrifice a lot of your social life because of it and and that's the main reason one of one of the biggest reasons why i feel like i should have actually done a little bit more as a map sometimes i feel like i want to actually do something on the side in engineering. you get get the cobwebs off of the brain and and jump back in but you know i'm here right now with the vending game and it's trying to make the best of this
0: one so tell me what difficulties did you have i mean i know other than the naysayers what other difficulties did you encounter in setting up um a vending business because it's a it's a growing business especially in the caribbean where yeah, and you're correct, Caribbean people, and on, especially on some islands, can be very conservative and they'll say, you know, oh no, no, no I'm not I'm not going to buy my food from a machine type thing, you know what I mean? Um, so, other than the naysayers, what other difficulty, difficulties did you encounter? Well, start up, I have to break that down,
1: from start up, the difficulty was just getting the money to get the first set of machines. So, I thought I got laid off in 2008. 2008 september and i was in antigua in the april of 2009 so i wasn't making no money during all that period and i mean i was on unemployment for a while but that stopped and i was just there still having to pay my rent because still their apartment in in maryland so just getting that first of the money that was my first challenge where i had to you know sell a lot of stuff when i came back from antigua came back up just before thanksgiving so i could catch that big sale time of the year I sold a lot of stuff. Sold my bed, my TV, things I really didn't need. I cut down, sold my sneaker collection. I sold a lot of stuff everywhere, Craigslist and eBay, and took that money. I, I dissolved my 401 I Almost forgot that. Dissolved my 401k, and took that money and bought my first three machines.
0: Ouch. So that, so that was um, a 401k
1: wasn't that big. So it was only working for like three and a half years. So it wasn't that, you know, what I mean, much accumulated, but. I still steal some money
0: So th- At this point Did you have any sneakers Left over?
1: Yeah of course Of course I have lots of sneakers Left over I still have like about Somewhere between 150-200 pairs Still in storage Oh my goodness
0: um, in, in Maryland And um <laughs> I got
1: some, some heat Those was crisping Some heat <laughs> If I put those up I'm gonna get a pretty Penny for it I'm about to say saying?
0: Because the game The game has really Grown within the last 10 years And uh, I, I, with your taste i can imagine uh wow
1: yeah I, you know, I mean i only collect one to 14 the jordan's one to 14 and those just sell those are just the the as they call them the holy grails so i have most of my pairs are in those numbers and i always bought them in my size so i could wear them but i probably won't wear those but yeah you, you get the picture
0: you were really ahead of the resale game because the resale game is like major now and it has been for probably the last you know five to seven years but you were way before that uh, i don't know i just to be honest i wasn't even
1: thinking i just saw it as an opportunity to make some money though those sneakers really set the trend for me but then jumping into jumping into the, the weeds oh my goodness that was just a cash crop for two years
0: straight i'm talking about didn't let down for two years straight. Supply and money. Demand. I made more money on
1: eBay than I did at my project engine job. that's how good it was. So anyway, back to the challenges. One of my, my first major challenge was, my first major challenge when getting the machines was moving a machine from the first floor to the second floor. So it's pretty simple, but think about it if a building doesn't have an elevator. No, the machine I got was a thousand pounds. So that was the first major challenge, just, just to shed some light on some of the challenges we have here, you know, I mean, in developing countries sometimes. But I had to use a trolley and a racket, guys, helped me push the, the machine up onto the second floor. But moving on, challenge number two is product. Sometimes you can't, the wholesalers have uh, a little lapse in their supply chain. And sometimes you would not have certain products, certain hot sellers for weeks at a time. And that does really put you, jump into hoops trying to find other products to your those. which leads me into my next challenge would be variety. Like the local market, there's, there's sometimes, sometimes seem to be limited in what they have. So sometimes you, it's very hard or difficult to offer new looks to the customer and one of the lifebloods in full line vending, one of the lifebloods in food vending is showing the customer variety. You have to show them something different every time. As a matter of fact, a rule of thumb in in full line vending is put a new product in the machine every time you restart. And sometimes that in itself presents some challenges for me.
0: So you really threw yourself into this business Tell me about your trip out to Iowa.
1: Oh, that was a great trip. Um, I wasn't... After selling all that thing, all all my possessions, I was selling all my possessions and getting the money for it. Just before I purchased the machines, I actually communicated with the manufacturer that I was going to buy from and asked them if it was okay if I could come and visit them and get some training. And they, they obliged me. I flew out to Iowa and... I had two days of intense training with two of the top two of the best. I think one was the, the, the senior field engineer and the head of the parts in the service department. So I spent two days with those gentlemen. They gave me great training. I was just looking back on the video clips that I have of my training there and it was really intense. Some of the things I had to haven't even come across yet and I've been doing this for ten years. So I got some good training from those guys and it was it was essential to my start because that gave me that comfort level. Stand the business knowing that any little small little issues that arise, I could tackle it right then and there, or I just look back at some of the video clips and, and learn and know what to do.
0: That's, I mean, <laughs> I couldn't think of a more brilliant way to educate yourself about the whole thing. That was excellent. And then you took it a step further and you went to Las Vegas. Tell us about the Vegas convention because I must say, I must say, Jason, you know, no matter what you do in life, Vegas has a convention for it. But the last thing I would have thought about was a vending machine conference. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, well, it, was a great, it was a great experience. Again, that one was really special to me. I'm going to even go fast forward and say this. After leaving that Vegas conference and moving, coming back to Antigua, this, it was just like three, four days when I came back, that pushed me. That gave me so, so much motivation that pushed me to get to get another contract right after just the day after coming back, which led to another contract, which eventually led to my airport contract. So it's just one of the trick down events of coming from Vegas and that did it for me. But the Vegas trip was really good. I met with so many different vending operators from across the US, from across the world actually. I met some good good friends of mine right now. They're in Barbados doing their thing in the vending machine game and you know, people I communicate with all the time, and they met me, you on the floor, we just went to different stores, so the newest in the, the top line of technology that they had right now, bleeding edge technology in the vending business. I actually recommend anyone who's a vending operator to go to the, to the normal One show, It's a great show, and you would not regret it, just actually meeting, I met people with as little as 50 vending machines, two people, thousands of vending machines, to. Um, nationwide companies it's just so it's so
0: inspiring just meeting and greeting exchanging ideas talking with these guys are, are Amer- well I was going to say Americans but are people in the world eating that much snacks? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, I tell you, I mean, it's, a, it's a still a growing. Co- it's a still a growing business. It's growing every year. Every year, people are just jumping in, and it's it's, it's self sufficient. You you you're just they're making your own money, and you can do it part time. You could do it full time, like I'm doing it full time. Or you know, it's just it's just a nice way to just get
0: in. Amazing, <laughs> amazing, absolutely amazing. In terms of the Caribbean, how can the vending business be improved?
1: Mm, that's, a, that's a good question. I don't know how
0: it could be improved, but I think or, we or, or use the vending. Go ahead. Oh, maybe I should ask you this: What can what can be done to make uh, Caribbean people more accepting of purchasing from vending machines? Because it, 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 have you found that there's a trust barrier? <laughs> well, I, the, initially when I, when I started
1: out, it, there was there definitely was a trust barrier, especially in the public locations where you know I mean if you have if you have a vending machine in in a building where the same people use the machine every day the trust is there but you know in a public setting where you might have a new user with a machine or someone who's never seen a machine before that would be th- those were challenges as well because sometimes it's called you have to give them directions over the phone on how to do it
0: people the um,
1: vending operators our future vending
0: operators there, there's so many you can, you can get very
1: creative with vending machines and, and what you can sell from them I think we can just just again, just be creative. Just look at different things, different items. Anything can be the vending machine, just how you configure that machine, how you design that machine, and, and just, just figure it out. Something something worth looking into.
0: So I I, I didn't realize, um, and I learned this from from, from watching your, your channel, which we'll talk about in a minute. I didn't realize that you could actually design or you had to design your own vending machines. I thought it was one size fits all.
1: Manufacturers have Generic designs that you can just. See. I want a five-wide vending machine, and they'll have different ones you can choose from. But at some point, you'll have to choose which configuration you want, or you can set your own configuration. So I had to go through that process with my with my first arm um, three, which was it made it easier every time it went through it. You could say, "I don't want 18 slots here. Give me, give me 25 or give me 26 or whatever. You could change it up, but." going through the process one time and it's, it's, it's very easy it's not difficult but depending on what product you want to sell you should design your machine to sell that product you may want to sell a pair of jeans or, or whatever or books different things you can you can design your machine that you would be able to to vend those things those items i
0: was going to ask what what is possibly the strangest thing that you've seen um being sold on a vending machine Mm,
1: strangers. Uh, on Instagram, I saw a lady selling she sell books at a, at a pub or the vending machine. That wasn't strange, but I liked her, I liked the story. Um, when I was in Vegas, I saw an orange uh, freshly squeezed orange juice vending machine. That was, that was pretty um, unique. Never seen that before. I don't know. The, 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 the orange one. I like the orange one. Just seeing that one, they, they cut the orange and then squeeze it. Squeeze like two or three of them. You get a full cup of orange juice. Really good. It was refreshing actually. Really good.
0: Interesting. Tell me something, Jason. What is the importance, in your opinion, of local entrepreneurship?
1: Local entrepreneurship is extremely important and should be taken seriously by any out the box thinker out there who, are th- who is thinking of even getting into business right now. I mean, entrepreneur. The government, the government cannot do everything, and especially in conservative nations like Antigua, sometimes people sit back thinking that you just want to get a a steady job and a steady income. But look what COVID did to all of us. It set us right back. Showed us showed us what was important, and took away a lot of our that safety net of that steady job. So I think entrepreneurs should really look into uh, future entrepreneurs, uh, uh, out-of-the-box thinkers. I think they should really look into taking that leap of faith, putting the hard work and focus and try and get the job done, try and get your idea out there to the world because you never know. I think risk-takers, again, from a conservative nation, sometimes we're risk-taking, taking those... The late nights, the, the fear of work as, as, as well is what hampers a lot of people, I think. And I personally, what works for me is just just do it one time and if you just see the system work, if you see the system work, that motivates you to keep pushing and getting that product out even more and expanding.
0: Got it, got it, got it. Jason, what lessons have you learned from this business in particular? Well, I learned from this business as every other business
1: customer service is key as i said earlier from the from my hotel experience actually from ebay especially ebay I'm communicating with the buyer communicating and letting them know the tracking number checking in with them if they got their package telling them thank you for your service if you have any, um, if you would refer me to someone else just doing things like that that was i think that was essential that was a uh, Big part of my success because a lot of people on eBay that is a lot of my buyers were referrals so that's one of the main things I've learned also even even going off of customer service uh, in Antigua when I in, Antigua, in the eastern Caribbean we have I don't know if good at the time when they changed the quarters they, the central bank started getting their quarters minted from a different facility and the quarters that came out were a little thicker and they were actually lighter than the other quarters that were on the market. Mm. So people would come and use the machine and the quarters would drop out because the coin mechanism would not recognize the new minted quarters. Even though you probably didn't look much different to the eye, it was a totally different weight, the the edges were risen and they couldn't recognize it. So that's another thing I've learned in the business, you have to always keep on top of those kind of things new happenings new 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 developments you have to stay abreast to what's happening in your sector and and what's happening in your country because those new coins i lost a lot of sales because of that, it took, it took a while. Because now you had to start gathering them up. You have to send samples to the to the manufacturer. They had to test them, then send you back the the what do you call it the, the mm-hmm. firmware update. The firmware update may may or may not work. It was it was it was crazy for a while. Even even when the paper money went over to the polymer um, notes, that was also I had to do a hardware upgrade for those. So to be in business, you have to always be looking at upgrading and seeing what's happening around you so you can always be at top of things because you will lose sales and that will hurt your bottom line. Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. What advice uh, would you have for young entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs in general? Just general advice, not necessarily about vending machines.
1: You can't get away from cliches when it comes to advice for entrepreneurship or anybody who is after success. I think you gotta put in the hard work. How many times you've heard that? You have to be dedicated. You have to have focus, and there's a big thing about focus. I remember, can't remember where I read that, but they say the sun shines on the earth every day. But using a magnifying glass to harness the sun's energy to a focal focal point, you could start a wildfire. So focus on some things focus on one thing and start that wildfire just be determined be tenacious don't take no for answer push through have faith and you know i mean i live with the results because once you do the hard work live with the results the business may fail and so be it but it may succeed and that's even better so i think everyone should take their chance be a risk taker think out the box as well so many things I'll tell someone, you know what I mean? Just, and all these things are cliches. I've heard these things all over. The repetition is always good, though. So I'm repeat it again. Just focus.
0: So tell me, what does success look like to you?
1: Uh, that's another good question, Christian. Success, to me, I would like to see everybody around me doing well. I'm talking especially my, my circle of friends, my family, my close friends and family. I would like to see everybody doing well, succeeding, living their dream and yeah, being positive people, um, contributing to society. Success personally for me, I really want to leave, I have have two kids and I really want them to come up in a better world than I did and I want to leave that infrastructure for them to be whatever they want to be in life.
0: Mm -hmm. So, question for you, what would you tell the 15 year old Jason?
1: (laughs) First of all, I told the uh, 15-year-old Jason to, stick, to stay in physics class because you're going to go to hard engineering and physics is going to kick your butt, so you should definitely do physics for CXE. That's the first thing I, <laughs> I told him because I was pissed off because everybody from the other thing, Jamaican train, they were killing it because they did they, it they, they for CXE. They, they were just running to physics one, physics two, the labs, chemistry, they you were know, just going in and I was like, that was the first time for me doing that, but anyway.
0: Oh, because they would have done it at the same type of stuff at CXC level. Yeah, yeah, they're at CXC level, so they're already, you know, what
1: I mean, they were, they're, they're already greased up for that kind of work. But I was, was the first person to be doing it. So I was at the back of I class, struggling, so I had to really put in the work and get some torture and other stuff. Me talking to the fifteen-year-old Jason, I would tell him, "I think you're going to be something special. Keep working, keep pushing." You know, something, I at 15 at 10 8 years old this is one thing I always knew and I was always confident of was that I could be anything you wanted to be and it's just putting putting your mind to it and actually doing it I knew that was it everything was up to me so at 15 my confidence was already high it was already really strong I think but I was just them to keep pushing and you're going to do something special one of these days but just be prepared for it when it comes Mm
0: -hmm, mm-hmm mm-hmm Another vending machine question: What are the best snacks in vending machines? What was, okay. So, so two parts, for, two part question: What are the best snacks in your opinion? And what are your most popular snacks on Antigua? Best snacks. Um, the best snacks. Chips sell very well.
1: Danishes and pastries. They those sell better. So honey bun. i will put honey bun. When I have them in stock, honey bun flies off the shelves. That's one thing for sure. The Honey Buns Father Shelf. But the candy
0: part of things, Eminem, I would say, is my, my best seller for candy. Eminem is, M- M&M is the best candy in the world. Yeah, Eminem <laughs> Peanut, that is, yes. Yes.
1: I mean, trust me, trust me. I, I mean, I actually, I'm a sneaker guy. I'm a sneaker guy. But I can see, uh, just, just looking at sales, Eminem back to this finish fast, but this, just keep going. Um, I like... Doritos, Doritos for chips. Those are the nachos, Doritos, and um, soda. Coke is the number one thing in Antigua. Coke and ginger ale, and of course, what you have to avoid in a vending machine. Can't have a vending machine without water. That's
0: gonna go. Especially in the Caribbean. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I have a video of myself, and I need to send it to you. I have a video of myself. A little a little annoyed because I spent two euros in a vending machine while I was in Europe last year. And my waters got stuck. And I know it's, it's a nominal, it's a small amount of money. But I think when you pay for something, you're supposed to get you something. And I don't know why I was so mad at that vending machine. How do you avoid it? Is there, is there, like, a margin of error? Is there, like, a percentage of people that just sort of get messed over by vending machines? Like, sometimes you think they have a mind of their own. Not really. It, it happens
1: randomly. Like, like my number one issue, if we, would, if we would call it, if it's not really an issue, is, is paper jams. When people put their notes in the machine and it gets stuck. And people... Well, it's really tough when a person is at a public location and they're just passing through and they're not going to be there for the so They put their money in the money gets the up. They call, them. they call me to come and take the, the jam out but they can't stick around for half an hour because I'm somewhere on the other part of the island doing something. So that's the toughest part. But locations where, like corporate locations, where the same people use the machine every time, it's easy to get the money back to them because you know I'm, I'm always there servicing the machine.
0: Mm. But you know,
1: these things happen randomly. in machines. You know, your bottle, your bottle jam, I can't, I can't pause at a certain angle. You can't push the, the delivery bin open. Or uh, the paper jam, as I said, or the coin jams. So, the time someone put a coin in with gum on it so everybody who came and put coins in, coins in after it was just jamming up and jamming up and everybody was losing their money and people cussing he goes through that but it's just again if you focus on customer service I'm a smart. they're gonna come at you when you walk into the building and you walk into the machine and say hey the machine has of dollars for me And really, but it's just about diffusing that situation Giving them money back sometimes, they even offer them a free snack sometimes. But, you know I mean, there are ways to get around it, but it's, it's still an issue that you really can't. You have no control over. It, ha- it happens randomly, and when it happens, you have no control over it. You just have to go and take care of it.
0: So you're a one-man show in essence. Right now, I am, yes. So tell, tell us about your faithful little Honda. Well... <laughs> Over you two know,
1: thousand and five hundred 2005 Honda Civic SI, man, my first guy jumping out of college, graduated in 2004, you know, guy in 2005 when I landed my job, that's my baby, took me, that helped me stock my, my machines for the first hmm. I got a van probably five years in, or four years, five years in, I got a van, then I had to get another van, so I had to go back to the car, because the van, the other van was working at a Ford E150, then I got a different, it's just a, it was a lot of, that car saved me, that car is my rescuer. I learned how to stop too five-wide combo vending machines in a car. I packed it to the brim. It was There was no space for, for, for a passenger. My passenger seat next to me had so much snacks. The back, back of it, there's no space back there. The trunk had stuff. Just that, that basically took me through this
0: business thing. That basically saved me through this vending machine business. Wonderful, wonderful. So COVID-19 has inadvertently sparked a lot of things creatively. Planet 30, this podcast, uh, not excluded. But you yourself launched your YouTube channel and you took on the persona that your customers in Antigua gave you, Machine Man. Tell us about Machine Man and the YouTube channel. Yeah,
1: Machine Man is my, it's me. That's the persona. That's who I am. I'm am Machine Man. Given to me by my customers, as you said, you know, they saw, hey, Machine Man. No, you can restart the machine and machine man, the machine empty. You, can, you just call machine man. So I was like, you know what, you're right. I'm a machine man and I'm a machine man do machine things. So that's how I started my YouTube channel. My, I machine my YouTube channel. Make sure you go look at me. So COVID-19, I was basically cut down all my locations down to one machine operating. I was down to one single machine. So So I had so much time on my hands. I had to find something to do. It's funny, I purchased a lot of my equipment, like my camera, I had a gimbal and a GoPro and everything. I had that stuff two years prior to me doing this. this. This idea was bubbling for a while, but the one blessing I can say COVID-19 had on me was letting me, giving me that opportunity, giving me that time to actually put some work in to start my YouTube channel. And it's been great so far. I love Creating content, I love being creative. Just sitting out in front of the camera, still getting used to it, and and giving that that information, that content that I know I wanted when I was starting on the vending machine business. So check me out, Machine Man YouTube.
0: So machine you, Man, do machine things. Why did you feel an obligation to help others? Because you know others might have said, "Yeah, you know what." Uh, I got this information, I went for the training, I'm keeping it all to myself. Why why are you giving the information away?
1: Because I got a lot of help when I started. I read a book that helped me, then I got training, but at no cost to me, and it's just something, you pass on something, you just pass it on, because I put the energy out, I think the is gonna come right back to me, so it was just something I wanted to do, it was just an itch I wanted to scratch, I guess. Just create, just be creative and give some information out there and see where my journey goes from that.
0: Excellent, excellent. So, on camera, you are very hilarious, uh, very charismatic, Mr. Machine Man. Um, (laughs) And I know that you are a member of a group that you said helped you to break out of your shell. Tell us about your experience with Toastmasters.
1: Yes, Antigua Toastmasters. First, I gotta tell you how I got into Toastmasters. Graduating from Howard, I was always pissed off that I did not do a speech class. So I used to, gri- I used to gripe to my sister and complain, and she's like, no, join Toastmasters. So I left PC, came to Antigua, and I wasn't sure we had a Toastmasters branch here. I was by a friend hanging out one afternoon in the soil in a magazine, for Antigua Toastmasters Club. Even then at that point, I still did not go. Then a friend of mine who was living in England who came home to Antigua just for, for a two week vacation. He was going to the Toastmasters with his sister. And I'm like, okay, I gotta go to Toastmasters. He just kept on ringing in my, he just kept on coming in my face. And I went with them. They put me in the fire, I went in the fire drill right the first day because there's a session in Toastmasters called Table Topics and I was where the Topics Master would ask random questions and call, call someone in the audience and have them answer that question. So I had to get up, I was terrified, nervous, and I had to answer the question. But that adrenaline was, was I liked it. And I thought, and I thought, instantly you can see the benefits. Instantly from you visit a Toastmaster uh so if there's a Toastmasters meeting, you can see the benefits, how it how can, can help you in anything you're doing. If you're into entrepreneurship for communication, if you're into leadership, if you're in, in ex- if you're an executive, anything, this communication and leadership skills is, is on point. So I, it was a no brain for me after going to my first meeting. I did a few speeches, I wish I did more. I'm still in Toastmasters actually. I haven't been as active as I would like to be. But if you're on the fence, Joining Toastmasters, and you're someone who's forward thinking, someone who's looking to better yourself, personal development. Someone who's looking to better their communication skills and leadership skills. I think Toastmasters is the first place you start. I think Toastmasters is the best place to start. That.
0: Hmm. I know. I know several people that have joined and the the preach and sing the praises of the organization. Very good organization. So going to take a slight turn back a little bit cuz i have to as a former sneakerhead myself <laughs> as a recovering sneakerhead <laughs> <laughs> I like that <laughs> <laughs> um i was i was i loved air force 1s and I had very unique pairs of Air Force 1s. I remember having a brown canvas pair of Air Force 1s and wrapped around the sole was rope. Like, the rarer it was, I, I had to have it. I, I remember my red, white, and blues. I remember my forest green with the orange um, uh, Nike swoosh, you know. Uh, so, I have to ask you now, what is your favorite pair of sneakers in terms of the model and also, which colorway of that model? Mm, man, you know it's a pair of J's. You know it's a pair of Jordans.
1: That's a tough one, Crispin. I can't narrow down. Can I do three? Do three.
0: That's Go one. ahead. This is... All right. Three. My first pair, my Jordan, the
1: Jordan 6s, the 1991 Jordans, the bread, the black and red.
0: That, mm. Hands
1: down plays I mean holes a special part of my heart every time they come out I try to scoop a pick up then I would go with the bread elevens. those are, oh those are the nasty the elevens man and the, the he got game 13. oh no 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 sorry sorry no the he got game 13. Let's the 4s let let's go with the the red white and black fours. Tomorrow's
0: mm. black edition. The red, white, and black fours. I like. My I like the. Uh, well, I mean, they 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 came out later, but there's a gray pair of fours that are just.
1: Whew. The cool gray. One
0: if you call the is the cool gray one. Right. Those. Are nice. Those, <laughs> Those are nice. Are just awesome. <laughs> I would love uh, to go. I don't think my wife would allow me to buy these shoes anymore. You know. <laughs> <laughs> She always says, You're a man of a, you're a man of a certain age. You don't need Jordans.
1: <laughs> no, you don't understand it though. That's we live in that oh the, the, the nostalgic feeling puts lace
0: nose up. That nudge man, you get when you touch the streets, man. No, That's no, I, I yeah, I, I I love sneakers coming up. And you know what's what's interesting is when you were speaking of, of the Jordans, you said the ninety sixes, and then you referred to another one as the elevens. And we've, we've had this discussion before that in the Caribbean, you would refer to the Jordan and then the year. When we came to yeah. the United States, we realized that they had numbers like Jordan 1, Jordan 2. So I would always have to cross-reference and say, oh, oh, you mean, oh, okay, the 5s? Oh, okay, you mean the, the ninety? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. The 90s. 90, 90, the 90s. Yeah. The, 90s are, the 90s. The 60s of the 91s. Yeah, man. The right, so, so it's interesting culturally how... Yeah. Different places have different things. And, um, no, Jordan was definitely a a, a phenomenon. He still, the, the, the company still is, but he, the Jordan, the man was attached to the brand at the time when we were coming up. So it, it was like, you saw it in real time, you know? Yep. Yeah, yep.
1: Yeah, yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, saw him playing, we saw him playing those sneakers. That's
0: that, why we know them so. No, exactly. Exactly. Um, the documentary was special for all nineties kids. Yeah. If you could work for any brand, any sneaker brand, which one would it be? It's gotta be Jay's. I would definitely work for
1: Jordan's. I mean, of course, I'm a big fan. I'm a huge fan. I would probably just, uh, home cooking, I'd keep a pair of everyone we release, obviously. But, just knowing the process of how they come about, which colorway they're gonna release next, which colorway they're gonna bring back from that the hasn't been released since 1991, that kind of stuff. How they, how they, how they come up with these ideas, sitting in the design room. Even when they they release new air drones, in terms of you know they're still numbering. I, I don't want number they that right now. But I would definitely work for a sneaker company like, like the Jordan brand. They're definitely they're so successful over the years to build themselves to where they are now. The the impact they have to the generations. Because Jordan doesn't play basketball, you not know, the kids are still buying sneakers. So that's to show you the impact he had in the game, and the impact he had on the fashion, on fashion and and our culture, the sneaker culture. So definitely, mm-hmm. down the Jordan brand.
0: Mm-hmm. Would you consider re-entering the sneaker business? You know, you know, I thought about opening a sneaker store. I honestly did. <laughs> I think I
1: would run a bad sneaker store, seriously, because it all fire would be on my wall. You would see all. Top notch sneakers, you know what I mean. I would sell Air Force Ones, I would sell Dunks, and I would sell Jordans, and of course I sell the sneakers as well, other signature sneakers and all that stuff. But yeah, a sneaker store is definitely something I would want to do. or or or,
0: you, or or the sneaker vending machine. <laughs> I end up like a sneaky. Imagine, you know, sometimes vending machines give you free product. Imagine losing the entire sneakers to a to a, to, a, to a customer. That's you, a hundred and something U.S. dollars. That like, man. You, you, you'd have to put... you'd have to put a security guard at every machine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which defeats the purpose of it being a vending machine. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. So, Jason, you mentioned reading voraciously, as they say, about. Vending machines, and I know you're a man of knowledge and the reader. What are some of your favorite books? I have a
1: couple of favorite books. Favorite books, favorite books. I would say my number one favorite book would probably be Psycho Cybernetics. That's a book by, I think his name is Malt, Maxwell Maxwell. That book is about visualization. That really, when I started getting into reading, and you, know, you you remember the June Kelly song um in that song he's in the first verse he dropped a line and he said remember visualize and then it will materialize you want good just do good but tell them you man be wise so he did two things in that remember to visualize and then it materialize that's huge just holding that image in your head then he said then he said you want good just do good so that means that's like law of attraction putting good out you Get back good, so that that Junior Kelly really did, did blow my mind with that verse in Juvenile. But yeah, so the visualization from that when, when I when I from that lyrics, when I when I when I read this book, the psycho cybernetics kind of like brought it together, brought it back to me, saying, you know, visualize and it would materialize because that's the full theme of that book, psycho cybernetics. But The second book, I don't know, these two books is about between one and two, but I really, really, really like The Law of Success in 16 Lessons, that was written by Napoleon Hill. That's a top, when I say top book, I recommend you read this book, it's very thick, it's like a Bible, but it's like the Bible to success, and most of my books that I read are personal development books, and you know what I mean? Motivational, that kind of that, that kind of content I, I like to consume. But the law of success is sixteen lessons is it breaks down so many things in terms of success. And one of the major themes from this book that stood out to me was, I think it was I can't remember which chapter it was, but it was the chapter on savings, having a savings. And this, the story there was a story about this guy who had a great idea for a business, but could not get. The capital to start it he went to the bank and the bank to lend the money his family would learn the money so he went to his best friend and his best friend had a savings and his best friend gave him twenty thousand dollars and in exchange for the twenty thousand $20, dollars he gave his best friend twenty percent in the business mm. that business went out turned out to become a multi-million dollar business and he just got twenty percent of that but he spent twenty thousand dollars but that wasn't possible if he didn't have a savings and that story struck me so hard i was like wow the very next day i ran out the scholarship bank and open the savings account that really had that impact on me but i got that from the last success in 16 lessons by napoleon hill so that's another top book and then you know you definitely can't get away from think and go rich napoleon hill uh the other one for, what's his name? Dale
0: Carnegie. Dale Carnegie, he wrote that book, uh, How to Win Friends with Influence People. Very n- good Inference book. Influence People, yeah. A, a positive mindset, you know. So th- those are the type, of, that, that's the type of books I read. Books that uplift you. Think Books that self-help. Books that, you know, personal development books. That's my thing. Excellent, excellent. So, Jason, tell us, what is your next big move?
1: Right now, the next big move... I'm going to keep my mood silent right now. I've always got some tricks up my sleeve.
0: Okay, so okay. So I
1: can't let the cat out the bag. But my goal right now is to keep growing my YouTube channel. I think I, I found something that I really like. Just that sometimes the time. I actually said in my first video that I was going to do a video every week. After realizing you how the editing process goes, how long it takes just to just to
0: create the content and then shoot the content and then to edit the content is just a lot. Pre-production, so, but, production, uh, post-production. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes,
1: sir. And I love it though, and that's I wanna. Keep on, just stay consistent. Make my schedule and stay consistent making these um making these videos, and see where this takes me. I'm really looking forward to this journey. What I'm on right now, and see what spawns off of this.
0: So, when you are 105 years old on the on the hill overlooking English Harbour, in your mansion, after you've taken over, you know, vending in sne- the sneaker business in the Caribbean, what would you say? Is that thing that you wanted to accomplish that you did accomplish? What is your ultimate goal, Jason Edmund?
1: My ultimate goal, just the way you ask that question, because I don't know where I'm gonna, I'm heading in terms of journey-wise. I, I know where I'm heading. I'm heading towards success, but my ultimate goal is to be the best I can be. I reach my full potential. Reach my full potential where I can say I have no regrets. I left it all out on the basketball as players, would say that it all on the floor, and I did the best I could with what I had, and I'm proud of my efforts, I'm proud of what I've accomplished, and my family's proud, my kids are proud, and I'm living good.
0: mm mm-hmm. wonderful. Now, Jason, this is a segment of the interview that I, well, I strap on my, my space suit, and I jump out into the atmosphere, and I leave you on the planet alone The floor is yours. Whatever it is you want to say to the Planet 30 family, go ahead. The planet is yours. All right. All
1: right, Planet 30. Jason Edmund, aka Machine Man. Machine Man doing machine things. All I want to say to you is whatever ideas you have, whatever you're aspiring to do, to be, go for it. Work hard. Focus on it. And the number one. quality i think you should develop we all need to develop because i'm still working on it myself is that self-discipline because you know exactly how to get where you want to go you can everybody knows how to get what they want the steps are right there it's plain as day someone else has done it they left a, uh, a they left a road map for you but it's all about self-discipline i think self-discipline is what separates the ones who accomplish it from the ones who don't and you just have to want it bad enough, and self-discipline will actually be easy. So want it as bad as you can, and put the self-discipline in. Develop that self-discipline, and I think everything will be all right.
0: Mm. Words to live by. Machine Man, Jason Edmund, how do we get in contact with you? Drop your socials, your YouTube. How do we contact you?
1: All right, YouTube, search Machine Man. I'll uh, put Machine Man Vending Machine you must find me just getting warm on that so I could look out for some more content I definitely am going to push that channel uh, Instagram at Machine dot and that's M-A-C-H-I-N-E-M-A-N dot C-O no special spelling this Machine Man also you can find me on Instagram as well on more, the more personal side of things you know what I mean I show a lot more of my, my personal life on um Jaytown. that's j at j a y underscore t zero w n um that's instagram as well and the best way just send me a message on instagram that's the best way to contact me and definitely will respond and i look forward to hearing from you guys
0: jason edmund machine man doing machine things the king of vending in Antigua. soon to be expanding Thank you, thank you, thank you, Akana. thank you enough for joining me today on Planet 30.
1: Man, the pleasure was mine, man. Thank you, and big up to all the Planet 30 listeners. You're winning right
0: now. Awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Planet 30. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at OnPlanet30. Like us on Facebook.com slash Planet 30. Our email address is onplanet thirty at gmail that's O N P L A N E T T H I R T Y at Gmail For more information about Planet thirty, visit our website planet 30com That's P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y dot com I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30.